Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. We are in this series called Wildfire, and we're walking through the book of Acts. And I was thinking this week, um, I, I get that question, you get that question, I've probably asked you this question before, how are you doing? Right? You, you hear that all the time, it's kind of a common courtesy, someone says, how are you doing? And um, it, I found my own answer to that question, uh, my stock answer now is busy. I'm busy, right? We, or it's some version of, oh, you know, things, life is really full right now, but it's good, right? We, we feel that, right? We feel that busyness. My, my guess is that if I asked most of you in this room, how are you doing, you would probably say some version of busy, right? About a generation ago, when you would ask that question, the stock answer was fine thanks, and even if it wasn't fine, right, your, your dog could have died, your wife could have left you, you could have had your right leg, you know, uh, chopped off, and you go to church, and they say, how are you? You say, fine, thanks, right? That, that was the stock answer, fine, thanks. But that's actually changed over the last um, decade or two till now, almost everybody in America, if you ask them, how are you doing, they're going to say some version of busy, some researchers uh, from Columbia University and Harvard University set out to figure out why. Like, what's happened that people are answering that question by and large with the answer of busy? And what they found was kind of surprising. They, they said that it used to be uh, status, high status, right? A, a sense of making it in life meant that you pictured someone who doesn't do a whole lot. Right? Think about the, 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 the person retired and they're on their yacht and they're floating around in the ocean and they're out there with their dog and their spouse. And what are they doing? Well, not a whole lot, right? And that was the good life. But that's changed. And culturally, we associate busyness with significance. Important people say, when you ask them, how are you? They say, busy. That there's something in us that, that longs for a life of significance and we feel like more stuff means more significant. We are busy people and what that leads us to do is it leads us to say a lot of yeses and very few no's. Because we think the busier we are, the more significant our life is. Now, this morning, um, this passage that we're gonna uh, that we're gonna be looking at from the Book of Acts is going to bump us up against our own busyness. Right? It's going to kind of confront us in that way, and I think a very beautiful way. And I'm, I'm entitling this sermon "The Yes and the No of Serving Jesus." 
the yes and the no of serving Jesus. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 6, and if you want to start going there in Acts chapter 6, we're just going to read the verses 1 through 7. And in this series called Wildfire, what we're looking at is how this gospel began to spread like wildfire. I mean, when Jesus ascended in about 33 AD, there were about 120 believers, right? They're filled with the Spirit. And then all of a sudden, we see this movement birth, thousands of people coming to Christ. By uh, 315 AD, there are over 20 million Christians, and that same movement is still, it's, it's, it's just spreading across the globe right now. The, the fastest growing churches are in Iran, of all places, right? Afghanistan, right? Where, where people are being persecuted, where the gospel is trying to be stomped out. That's where the church is growing the fastest. The movement is still moving. What I'm advocating for throughout this whole series, if you're wondering, like, why are we doing wildfire? What's this all about? Well, here's what I'm advocating for, that you and I would embrace simple faithful, movemental Christianity. Because what happens in our walk with Jesus is, is we begin to drift off. We, we, we start making minor things major things. And we make major things minor things. The, 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 the simple, faithful things of following Jesus get pushed to the margins of our life. So I'm advocating that we return to simple, faithful, movemental Christianity. So without further ado, let's read our passage together. Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. It says, In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Pumba, no, that's not in there, Parmenas, Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. So I, I don't want you to miss, this is this grassroots movement. It is, it is spreading rapidly. And I just want you to see in verse 1, this phrase, in those days as the disciples were increasing in number. That, the, the Greek word for that is plethuno, and that would also be translated as multiplied. Now, if you've, your translation might actually say that the church was multiplying at this time. And, and, and when you think about multiplication, we think about um, uh, reproducing things that reproduce things. For example, 
If you were to look at the the global um, population rise right now, what you're going to see is this incredible curve that's just going up like this. Why? Because people reproduce little people who grow up and reproduce little people and then multiple generations we see multiplication happening two becomes four four becomes eight eight becomes 16 16 becomes 32 32 becomes 64 and it's just it just keeps spreading and multiplying and what's happening is the word of the lord is multiplying the number of disciples and what that tells us is that it wasn't just great sermons being preached by the apostles, but the believers themselves were sharing about Jesus. They're talking about the gospel of what Jesus was doing inside of them. And two people would become four, and then four would become eight, and this thing was growing. But then we see in verse 7 the same phrase. So the word of God spread, the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. Same word, plethuno, multiplied, but it multiplied greatly. So what's happening here between verse 1 and verse 7 where we go from multiplying to multiplying greatly? Well, it starts with conflict. There's a complaint Right, the, the Hellenistic Jews have this complaint that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of the food. Now, anytime there's conflict in the church, we're like, oh, no, here we go, right? I used to like that church, but then they, you know, they had conflict, and it's just like all this complaining happened, right? Well, guess what? We, we think that if we could go back to the beginning, we could be like the early church, and we wouldn't have any problems. No, 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 no. They had Problems. We see it right here. Conflict is inevitable. And it's not even a bad thing. It's how we deal with conflict that determines whether or not we should get the red flags out. Okay? So the Hellenistic Jews spoke Greek. That was their native language. The Hebraic Jews spoke Aramaic. That was their native language. So think about this. This is a bilingual church. With widows, some speak Aramaic, some speak Greek, and the Greek-speaking widows were being overlooked, probably because Aramaic-speaking people were in charge of it, right? They, they could not understand. Some ladies at the church telling us these things, we don't know what she's saying, right? They're being overlooked. And look at how the disciples handle the problem. They didn't say, you're just a bunch of complainers. Right? They didn't say, you know, you could have it so much worse. Why can't you just celebrate all the good things happening? That's not what they do. They actually acknowledge this is a real problem. This is a real problem. And we need to deal with this problem. And then verse 2 through 4 is a little bit surprising to me. It said that the the 12 summoned the whole company of the disciples and said it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom whom we can appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. 
So there's a complaint, there's conflict, there's a real problem. The disciples acknowledge this is a real problem. And then they stand up and instead of saying what we think they should say as a good leader is like, you're right, people. Let me take care of this for you. I'm going to step in. I'm going to lead this thing. What do they say? No. No, we can't do it. Our plates too full. All of our energy has been taken up by leading and teaching and preaching and praying. There's no way that we can take this on. They said no. And that surprised me. Because they had already given the Lord a yes that required them to give a no. They couldn't fulfill their yes by saying another yes because that yes was too big. They had to say no. And today, as we go through this, here's what I want you to consider. What have you given your yes to and what have you given your no to? And then I want you to ask yourself the question, why? Why? What have you given your yes to? And what have you given your no to? These disciples had to say no to fulfill their yes. And here's what we see. This is, this is cool. You see, at Pentecost, we saw the Spirit empower the disciples, right? Rushing wind, tongues of fire, gospel proclaimed in every language, thousands of people coming. It's amazing. Then we see the Spirit empower them to heal, like they're healing people. And again, the gospel is going forward, the crowds are gathering, they're sharing the word. Then we saw last week the effect of that empowerment was boldness. Like they had a supernatural boldness from the Spirit. And we see this Spirit empowerment over and over again. But we get to a whole other kind of empowerment here. Is that this kind of empowerment was disciples had to empower disciples for this to multiply greatly. Do you see that? Disciples had to empower disciples for this movement to multiply greatly. So here's my first point this morning. When you say yes, the capacity of the church grows. When you say yes, the capacity of the church grows. These disciples were capped out. I mean, they, they had given a yes. It was taking all their time and all their energy, and they knew, I'm going to fail at this. There's no way I can take this on. It's too much. We can't do it. We have to say no. All their energy was being consumed. And then they give people an opportunity to say yes. So they say no, so that someone else has an opportunity to say yes. I was thinking about, um, I, I didn't bring this because I thought I, I would just make a total mess in, in this building, but if I had a large pitcher of water and I had a glass, right, and I'm pouring that large pitcher of water into that glass, right, there's only so much that that glass can hold. 
And then one of three things has to happen. Number one, I can just keep pouring and just, it's just going to make a mess all over the floor, right? It's gonna, it's gonna go everywhere. If you, if you have a, a young child and, and you like watch them pour their own drink and you're cringing inside like, oh dear Lord, like please, like I'm just picturing everything getting ruined, right? That's, that's that feeling, like it's going to make a huge mess. Or secondly, I could stop pouring. Like, there's no more. This is it. 12 ounces. Or you get another cup. Right. Right. Keep pouring. Almost full. Okay, next cup. Pour. It's getting full. Next cup. Pour. You keep adding cups. The more cups you have, the more capacity you have to hold that water. That's what's happening in this early church. These disciples were capped out and they'd say, Lord, thank you for all the blessing. Thank you for all the ministry. Stop. No more. Or they could say, we need more cups. Right? We need more cups. When you say yes, the capacity of the church grows. Um, I was just looking back over this past year and thinking about a year ago See, a year ago, we had one house church, and we had um, maybe 40 people that were in that house church. We were starting to do preview services at that time, and I think total, we had about 45 people that were actually connected to Renaissance Church, and I was just looking through our database this week, and I, and I was so amazed that right now, a year later, we have over 90 people connected to what God's doing here at Renaissance Church in one year. Like, that is awesome. Praise God. That's not about us. That's not our, our whatever. It's like the Lord is pouring, right? But it's going to take more cups. It's going to take more cups for the pouring to keep coming. I was thinking about the number seven. Like they, they give these clear criteria. I'm, I'm looking for seven men. And why seven? Right now, if, if you're kind of a, a, a more of a mystic person like myself, like I'm kind of mystical, right? I look for signs from the Lord and that's just my mindset, right? And I see seven, I'm thinking, ooh, like it's, it's a spiritual number. Seven is the number of completion, right? It's the number of, of holiness and, and this is a symbol, it's a sign. It's, it's a holy and complete number of servants. But then I was thinking, this is a Daily distribution of food. And there's seven days in a week. And they need seven men. And here's what I think. They knew that one man trying to lead all seven days, that, that was going to overflow his capacity. It's too much. They needed seven men, one for every day of the week, right? It was strategic, strategic leadership. Seven men, one for every day to oversee this so that the capacity of the church could grow. You see, when we are strategic in how we serve, when we give our yes, we see the capacity of the church grow and we can accomplish more and we can do things better with more cups. Second thing, point number two, 
when you say yes, people see what God is like. Verse 7. If you look at this, this is a, a, one of those little details. Luke, who's writing this book, is a physician. He's detail-minded, and he puts this little detail in there for us. He said, the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. What's up with the priests? Where do they come into this story? Well, here's what we think was happening. There are thousands of lower-ranking priests in the temple system in Jerusalem. And and here in Jerusalem, in the temple, they were very serious about taking care of widows. That was all throughout their Old Testament Torah. They, They saw that God had a heart for the widow, the orphan, the fatherless, the foreigner. God cared about these people, and he wanted their needs practically met. And so in the temple... These low-ranking priests would have been actively distributing food, provisions to widows. But we also think that these low-ranking priests would have been commanded by their higher-ranking priests to not give food to the widows who have converted to the way, converted to Jesus. Don't give it to them. Take care of our own, but don't give it to them. And they see something really godly in this church who are taking care of widows, meeting tangible needs, daily provision of food. And and they see that some are being overlooked and they're like, oh no, we've got to fix this problem. And they call thousands of believers together in one place and they say, look, here's a solution. Pick seven, we'll appoint them to that service. And they fix the problem so that widows get food. And priests see this and they're like, This is for real. These people are for real. They are showing people what God is like. And when you say yes, people see what God is like. I was thinking this week about all the different things that we get to be involved in as a church body. I was thinking about um, kids ministry. Like right now, a lot of you are already serving kids ministry. We have kids ministry over there, first through fifth grade. I'm like, like that takes a lot of work, a lot of cups. Like why do we do that? Well, we do that because when the disciples were shooing the children away from Jesus, saying don't waste the rabbi's time, Jesus is like, no, 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 let them come to me. And we see the heart of Jesus is that he cares about the next generation of our kids, that they're growing up in a crazy world and they need people like us who will love them and serve them and tell them about Jesus and play goofy games with them and dance around in the front or whatever we have to do to help them hear it, right? That's why we do it. That's why we serve. Why, why do we set up all this stuff with screens and speakers and, and, and chairs? And like, why do we put signs outside? Why do we do that? That takes cups. Well, we do that because we really believe that God cares about the loss of our city. And that he wants his word proclaimed publicly in a public place where they can come in and hear the gospel. And so we take energy, effort, 
time and people say yes to serving so that we could do that here. That people could hear the word of Jesus. This past Wednesday, um, Casey shared with us in our prayer time just about what she gets to see in our school. I don't know if you know that we have people who serve in this school. We're kind of like embedded as the top secret PTO, like we have a PTO remnant here. And, and so a lot of the things that are happening in this school, our church is deeply involved with. And Casey just shared story of kid after kid who's, who's going through some really, really hard stuff, like stuff they shouldn't have to go through yet. And yet we get to be there. We, we got to hear about a mom of, of two girls who's living in her car. And we hear about this through the school and through a ministry called Common Threads. It's a part of the school district. And so we got to step in and help that family get a hotel room for a few days while they figure out what's next. It's a tangible need just by serving in the school why, why do we rally around uh, Zach Lambert and Mercy Goods? Because we really believe that God cares about high school students who are going through really difficult stuff, who are coming out of difficult situations in life, and they need somebody to mentor them and care about them and show them how to you know, do skills and all that kind of stuff. It's like one little piece of the puzzle that we know God cares about these things. I think about the Nances who are being trained to go to Japan. And my, my sincere hope is that we as a church body are able next year as they go that we're going to financially help them out. Why? Because in Japan, less than 2% of the population has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Incredibly unreached. It's like the second largest unreached people group in the whole globe. And we have people from our body going there. You think God's, God's heart beats for that? Oh, you better believe it does. People hearing about Jesus. That's why we give the missions. That's why we give the church planting because these are kingdom things that reveal the king. And when you say yes, you show people what God is like. I... Uh, Recently got to listen to a Canadian church planter. Uh, he's a guy, he's, he's kind of one of the head guys at the North American Mission Board now. Um, incredible man, planted a church in, in Canada, which is very hard soil to plant in. And he said that in Canada, that the government took away their charitable status and said, you have to prove to us how you're bettering your community. And if you aren't bettering your community, guess what? You're not getting your charitable status here. And he said it was so good for the church. Like it was so clarifying for them. Oh, we've got to exist for more than ourselves. We have to serve the greater community around us. We have to reveal the king. Third thing, I don't want you to miss this. I think this is so big here. Okay, here's my third point. It's an honor to say Yes to serving Jesus. It's an honor. In verse 6, um, we see these men, they're uh, brought up, and they're in front of all these people. It says they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. 
Uh, in college, I went to Texas State University, go Bobcats. And uh, it's, it's a school that has very little school pride. That's why nobody like yelled when I just said that right there. If I would have said like, go Aggies, somebody would have whooped or something, right? Because you guys have school pride. We don't have that at, at Texas State. It's, it's like, it's pretty pitiful. But that's kind of what we like about it. And so because of that, and because I'm, I don't know, I'm just a dude, like when it came time to finish my degree and like walk at the graduation, I was like, I'm not going, I'm not doing that, right? It's a waste of time, it's a waste of money. I got that little packet in the mail of like, order your cap and gown. I'm like, I'm not doing that. That's, that's so dorky, I'm not gonna wear a cap and gown. Like, no way, right? Well, then all my friends were like, aren't you walking? I was like, no. They're like, seriously, you need to walk. Like you, you gave five years of your life at this place. Like you need to, I'm like, okay, okay. So I had a friend who had actually like done the right thing and ordered his cap and gown. So I borrowed it from him. He was going to graduate like right after me. So we had to do the swap in the parking lot. And so I swap. I, and here's the thing. I walked out kind of like inside, like, oh, like rolling my eyes, like, oh my gosh. And it was so crazy. There's thousands of family and friends there for all the students. And you walk out, and the music's playing, and everyone's standing and clapping. And it was so awesome. I, I tell everyone it was the only time I felt special in college. Like, it's like nobody else cares if you, like, do your work or whatever. But you get to graduation, everyone's cheering. And it's just like, oh, that was really cool. It was almost emotional. It was an honor. In, in my imagination, I'm picturing a gathering of thousands of believers in the temple courts. And they choose seven. And they bring them up with the 12, the dudes that walked with Jesus. I mean, the, the dudes that, that hung out with him for three years. And Jesus, he had prayed for them and laid his hands on them. And now you're going to stand up, right, in, in front of all these people. And they're going to pray and lay their hands on you. And just what an honor that must have felt like to these men. And I want to tell you this. You may not have thousands of people cheering you on when you go and serve in the kids' ministry or when you put the sign out on the corner. There's not like people like, yeah, where are you, right? No one's cheering you on at that moment. But let me tell you, it is still an honor to serve Jesus. It's an honor. I mean, there's nothing like feeling the joy of when you are used by God. I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you know, like, I was a part of something and God was doing something through that and I got to be there and I got to be a part of it. Like, that is a joy. It's an honor to say yes to him. Thirteen years, four months and nine days ago, a pastor asked me for a big yes. I mean, it was a big yes. Like one of the biggest yeses of my life. Um, you know, hundreds of family and friends are there. And um, I'm, I'm standing there. He looks me square in the eye in front of all these people. And he asked me this question. Do you take this woman to be your wife? And I'm like, yes, right? <laughs> Big yes, of course. Before she changes her mind, yes, right? And I got to celebrate Casey's birthday this week. So if you haven't told her happy birthday yet, tell her happy birthday after this. But in saying a big yes, 
A big, powerful yes. I also said a big, powerful no. To every other woman. Right? You see, when it comes to saying a big yes, it's going to cost you some no's. The apostles had said a big yes to Jesus. They were going to give themselves to the ministry of the word, to preaching and teaching and prayer. It was a big yes. And there were lots of good other opportunities to say yes to this and yes to that and yes to the widows and yes to all this. But they had to say no to fulfill the yes. My concern for us as people who answer the question, how are you with busy, is that we say yes to lots and lots of things that aren't kingdom. It's just good stuff, but it's not Jesus stuff. I wanna encourage you to think about what have you said yes to? And what have you said no to? And why? Why is this such a big deal? Well, I think um, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, tells us why it's a big deal. He says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity. And we had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why is this such a big deal? Because when it comes to saying yes and no to serving Jesus, we have to remember that Jesus said a big yes and a big no to serving you. Think about that. In his yes, he said no to this, um, this phrase that's used. He, he said um, he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. He said no to the comfort of heaven for a wooden Roman cross. He said yes to a cross. No to exploiting his status to serve me and to serve you. And if you're here today and you've not started there with Jesus is Lord, the first yes I want to call you to do is this, to say yes to him. See, without saying yes to Jesus, you can know lots of stuff about God and, and you can go to church and you can do you know, re spiritual, religious stuff. But if you've not said yes to Jesus, then all of that means nothing. 
It means nothing. But when we say yes to Jesus, Jesus, you are Lord, you are my Savior, I have no other God, I have no other idol, I have no other hope for salvation but you, when we start with that, yes, oh man, we're born again. The Spirit of God comes into us, our sins are forgiven. It's beautiful. So if you haven't said that, yes, start there. And then I want to encourage you to say yes to Jesus. He's still looking for your yes. It will cost you some no's, but it's an honor. It's an honor to serve Jesus. There's some practical ways that you can serve here. All the ways that I just mentioned. We serve in kids' ministry. We serve setting up all this stuff. Um, We're going to have an opportunity, I'm going to announce at the end, to help another local ministry just to go help them do some practical stuff. There's ways that you can serve here, and we want to help you do that. We want to help you fulfill your yes to Jesus. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.